Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. This morning, Ivan mentioned that um, not long ago now, in November and uh, early December, we went to Israel. And um, that was a bucket list um, thing for me. I didn't realise it was for Ivan. I thought he was just coming for me. But it was for him as well. Um, We had an absolute wonderful time, partly because... Um, of the amazing place and the significance um, of that for us as Christians, but also because we were there with lots of friends um, who also had a similar journey to us, you know, um, faithful to God, you know, for a long time. And so it was really, really special. Um, the country is literally amazing since, um, you know, 1948 and, and when people began to migrate back, the, the desert has come to life, literally. And um, no, not just magically, but um, they've been very innovative. They were one of the first people in the world to use grey water. And so oh, the Jezreel Valley and when you're just driving by, you just see crops everywhere and, you know, life coming the contrast of the of the countryside is just amazing, and it literally is the desert coming to life. Um, and the yeah, the, there's a very small country, but yet the amazing contrast of scenery is is incredible. Um, I said about the Jezreel Valley before. We heard that 500 million birds migrate through the Jezreel Valley every year so it is literally full of life and it is amazing to see Um, and what I guess one of the things I sort of knew but has been uh, underscored for me was that there is nothing insignificant in the Bible (laughs) you know God uh, writes things on purpose and he chose to speak and so even the very small things we can learn so much from and I suppose that's morning that's what I'm hoping to do just a few reflections on some very small things in the Bible um, to help us I suppose underscore our love for uh, our Lord um, and yeah, encourage you I hope too so let's pray Father I just pray this morning that there'll be something for everybody. Um, You're so good at doing that. You know where everyone's at. I've got no idea. Um, So I just ask that you'll just take um, the small little messages and just encourage people in their journeys. Father, I'm very grateful this morning for the people who came and set up (laughs) and got church ready. I'm I'm so grateful for the car park guys who are out there this morning, the sound people who've been here for a long time, the greeters on the door, our creative team. And uh, I just thank you for the platform they've set um, this morning um, to receive your word. Amen. Okay. So you're going to get some lessons from Israel, okay? It says, until Christ is formed in you, because as you know, I've been a Christian for 44 years, and, you know, I I still think God's got a fair bit of work to do, and become very aware of that from time to time. Um, So one of the first places we went to, um, a photo is going to come up now of just the countryside, was a like... Um, a biblical landscape national park 
Okay, someone went and bought 400 to 600 acres and they have literally gone to the Old Testament and in Deuteronomy it describes the land of Canaan and they have just planted what was a desert landscape uh, and then over the years it has become to come to life to what the original biblical landscape would be like. And so uh, we got to sit down and hear about trees and plants. And if you're that sort of person, it was actually really, really interesting. So my first little reflection comes from the tamarisk tree. Um, For those of you who um, are now thinking, oh, where have I heard that before? In Genesis 21.33, it says this, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Um, So the tamarisk tree, while I'm looking at that, uh, is planted for the generations. So it's a tree that we were told, you should see its leaves are more like, you probably can't see the leaves there, but they're like fine needles, like a pine um, tree, except a little bit thicker than that. And the way that it processes the salt in the soil means that um, it puts out, obviously, some sort of vapour that when the breeze blows, it acts like an air conditioner a natural air conditioner. And so you can imagine why you would plant one of these trees in the desert and then why it would be a natural gathering place because it literally was five degrees cooler under the tree because of that natural process. How good is that? Um, So the little, the lesson I learned um, from the tamarisk tree, it's just a reminder that he, he planted the tree, they take a long time to grow. And it said he was there for a long time. And some things in our lives take a long time to grow. And we have to be in for the long haul. I said, and especially with our faith. It's not a short-term thing. It's a long-term thing. And you might not see the fruit of some things that are planted in your life for a long time. But hang in there. Um, God is into doing a long journey. Remember, he reminds us in Philippians that the work that he's beginning in us, he will complete (laughs) until the day that he comes back. So he's working um, behind the scenes. I've got a photo of um, one of my Christmas, so Christmas Day in my, in our family yard, the house that I grew up in, um, looking wonderful there, but slowly falling down around our ears. Um, And that's the fence. When dad bought that land, it was like a tamarisk tree, okay? Really, the, the thing that's happening in the front yard is what he really was building it for. Um, because we all know houses fall down and need to be maintained and eventually get sold and moved on. But really, the vision he had was what was happening in the front yard. But to get that, what, what you, that looks all wonderful and fantastic. <laughs> but to actually have get that, um, if you could um, ask all the people around the table, you would find out that... In the front yard there, there's, there's some pain. There's uh, lots of grief there. Um, there's uh, no perfection <laughs> at all. So um, to have 
those people, all of the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren willingly coming there. I know that my dad would have had to adjust his vision a fair bit over the years. I'm thinking of that now because I have a little grandchild and I think I want her to willingly want to come you know, I want to create a place like that, a tamarisk tree, but I really need to know that I have to let go of perfection, what I think their life might look like one day, and I might have to learn how to forgive and how to um, love and accept, and then do that again and again and again, and then what you might have in the end might not quite be what you, sort of the perfect picture you had in mind, but it's real. And, you know, family is not, is changeable. It's changeable. And, you know, you add people in and, and it's, it's a living organism. And, yeah, and so I just wanted to just remind us that, um, yeah, to, to have an idea or a vision or some, for something, maybe along the way God has to work on us as well um, to keep that happening. Um, there's nothing um, more relevant to this than the Christmas story. That God waited, it says in Galatians, when he, the time had fully come, he waited a long time to send his son <laughs> at just the right time in history. You know, I'm sure there were people in the hundreds of years before waiting and wanting God, hurry up, God, do something, do something. But he waited till just the right time. Jesus waited. He lived 30 years on this earth. The concept of that, I find incredible. The God of this universe submitting to a human body and given to the care of a mum and dad. And watching my daughter at the moment rise to that, I think, yep, no safer place in the universe to put a little baby in, in their mum's arms. But um, the vulnerability of that, the God of the universe and the whole plan, relying on um, two very young new parents, is incredible. Um, and the, the fact that he submitted to a mum and dad and became part of a family got a job, you know, did an apprenticeship <laughs> and got a job and worked. You know, that places value for me on what we all do every day. The small things of what we might think our life is only very normal. Well, God validated that life that we have and maybe we need to look at it through new eyes that to have a family is a wonderful thing, to have a job is an amazing thing and we can honour God and reflect him through how we approach that. Um, this was reinforced to me, like Ivan said, on Lake Galilee. Galilee. It was take the breath away, words can't explain, um, when we went to the sun, sunrise on the boat. And after a while of not being able to speak... <laughs> Um, I did, this is what I felt whispered to me, you must resist the instant gratification of the times that you're living in. I am outside of time. I see the end from the beginning. I will complete what I have begun in your life, in my time. Enjoy the journey. I love those last three words. <laughs> Don't forget to enjoy the journey. <laughs> okay, next lesson is from some more trees. The cedar and the hyssop. Okay, um, 
And there's pictures of both up there and the verse above it. And 1 Kings 4.33 says, and this is speaking about Solomon. It says, he described the plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. That's a baby um, cedar of Lebanon, by the way, um, growing there in that, in that sort of national park. Um, but you couldn't get two more contrasting plants than these two that were mentioned in that verse. The absolute opposite ends of the scale. One is grand and special and grows in certain conditions. Yes, they were nearly lost to the world when they were over, you know, um, culled and used. And we could probably blame King Solomon for some of that because he used a lot of seed. Remember, he imported cedars from Lebanon to build his um, (coughs) palace and the temple. And he wouldn't have been the only one, only king at the time doing that. And so they, they, they do need to be looked after and they do grow in certain conditions. Um, but the other one, it's everywhere, okay? That's just a picture of a path and a bit of dirt. And there it is growing. And remember it said in the top, it grows out of walls. So it's everywhere over there. And hyssop is what we would term oregano, so you just have to, um, you know, scrunch it up and smell it and you know that, yes, it's a Lebanese form of oregano. Um, and it's everywhere, basically over there. And it can just grow in a rocky path on a crack. It has cleansing qualities. So there were ver- there's verses in the Bible that tell us that, um, remember David said, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow, creating me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Um, and also John, in John it records that the hyssop was used to put the sponge on and give Jesus a drink of vinegar. Um, and it's, the hyssop is a symbol of humility for the Jews. Uh, the girl who was doing our tour, I said to them, um, and in the Bible, the hyssop symbolised humility and service. And so out of the two plants, Jesus identified not with the grandeur of the cedar, uh, but with the um, normal, very normal um, herb, <laughs> the hyssop, and the humility of that. In Philippians 2, 3, it says, I'm going to read a passage to you. It says, starts with, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Um, And... So here we have a lesson about Jesus is that he identified with the humility of the hyssop 
this is how he lived his life on earth. Yet he had, he, he had, humility doesn't mean you don't know your value. It means you know your value, but you choose a position of service or you choose a position um, that doesn't put you above anybody, um, of lesser importance. So it's about understanding every human being has value and that's the way Jesus lived his life. I, I find this incredible because I do know that the more important you get, I don't know this from experience, but I've watched this, all right? The more important you get in life or the more fame you might get, the more complicated your life becomes. Uh, as in, in the end, you do have to begin to restrict who you hang out with. You have to restrict your time. You have to actually schedule time just to be normal and catch up with family and friends. It doesn't just happen naturally anymore. And you begin to retreat from what maybe you once did. Jesus worked really hard not to do that. He had tens of thousands of followers at times during his ministry. And yet you hear him staying at a friend's house, um, not buying a home, but staying at a friend's house, going camping, you know, going out along the shores of Galilee. I saw one of the places I, I, I think I would have stayed if I was him. Um, amongst all the needles on the edge of the shore and these trees, so soft and beautiful. And I, I admire that of him, that he was the God of the universe, yet he placed value on the everyday person. He looked through the crowd to individuals and he spent time with, you know, just everyday people. That I love about him. And that's the lesson, I guess, of the, of the hyssop. On Christmas Eve, I don't know if Leslie Rubano is here. If you, if you are, put your... Um, hand up. No, she's not. Um, she had to clean up vomit. Um, you know, so to make it nice for everybody, a little child obviously had too much Christmas excitement and too many probably treats that day and just let loose up there on the carpet somewhere. And next thing, you know, Leslie just straight away, where's the bucket? Where's this? And willingly did that. That to me is a picture of what we're talking about. I guess some more photos are going to come up because this was reinforced to me a few times. I have to show you this one because it said the hyssop grows in the walls. This is the Western Wall. This is the closest that the Jews get to the Temple Mount and that's why they go to the, um, to the wall. We, a privilege for us was we could, because we're English or we're Australians, we could go up on the Temple Mount but they can't. And um, in their devotion they go to the edge that they can go to. But... I don't know if that's hyssop growing in the walls, but wouldn't it be wonderful if it was? Because it's a picture of Christ right before their eyes. He's, ser you know, he's suffering servant. Um, their Messiah, a picture of him in the walls before they're praying. Okay, the next one I think is showing the church of the nativity. So this big church has been built around, this is in Bethlehem, and be built around where they believe Jesus was born. And the little place where he was born, which is probably more in a cave than what we sort of think in um, barn. But um, this is the door. So see the door over there? There's the massive building. That's how you get into it. See that tiny little door? You have to bend. Some of you would have a lot of trouble. I had to bend to, to be able to get into that door. And yes, it was one, on one hand, it was done to stop people coming in and looting. <laughs> in times of trouble in the past, but also because it reminds you to bow down when you go in and that 
we humble ourselves as we approach God. Now we know that in our New Testament, it says we approach the throne of grace with confidence. So this is not taking away confidence. Humility is not that. Humility is understanding your confidence, but choosing um, to bow down. And so that I, I liked that thought. And then the next one, it was reinforced again on the southern steps of the temple. This is where Jesus would have gone to the temple. This is where everyone entered the temple through these big, massive steps going up there on the left. And they're irregular. And they're irregular for a purpose. So they're not like we have our steps all even. So you get a little thing going and you just keep going straight up. Well, they're irregular. So you have to what? You have to look down. You have to watch where you're stepping. You have to be meaningful as you approach the, mindful as you approach the temple. And they do that for a reason, so that you will slow down and that you will humble yourself. And I just had to put, that's me at the top there on that one, uh, in the eastern gate, which has been boarded up by the crusaders in one of the years. But we know that's where Jesus is going to come back and enter the temple through that gate. So they've blocked it up. Um, you know, they can read scripture too, but they've blocked it up. But I don't think that'll, that'll stop him. <laughs> okay, next lesson. So are we going all right? Okay, next lesson from the Coney. If I've got time, I'll quickly go through. Four things on earth are extremely small but extremely wise. Conies are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. And in Psalm it said, the crags are a refuge for the Conies. Well, here's a Coney. Put him up. He's so cute and they're everywhere around the edge of the Lake Galilee. And I love them because, you know, if you look up in the dictionary, it says they're really a weak animal, okay? They've got big butts, okay? I don't know if I've got any other photos or just that one. Or here we are. See see his bottom? (laughs) So, yeah, I could identify with that one. I like the the coney. And in this one, I put that one because he's right in the back corner. That's a close-up of that. But you see the rocks. This is where he's made his home. So the smart thing about the coney is... Um, not that it can run fast. It lives with confidence. It lives its life with total confidence in those rocks and around that, those rocks because he looks very tasty to other predators and I'm sure they'd love to get hold of him. But they've survived, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years because they're smart. And when they're under attack, they back into a little crevice in the rock and go, ha ha, you know, um, you can't get me. And the lesson we learn from the coney is to re- make sure that we make our home among the rock. And we know that the living rock is Jesus Christ. He's a picture of the rock. And the coney gives us a wonderful little picture of that. I added that in because yeah, there might be children in the tent and I thought they might like that. Um, and it's a good lesson to learn. You know, in Psalm 18, it says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God is my rock, I, in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and my horn of salvation, my stronghold. Um, and he later David said, The Lord is on my side. What can man do to me? And we can live with confidence, just like the coney, even though we might not look that strong or we might feel weak at times because we can make our home among the rocks and even when we make mistakes 
in life, we have to learn to be like a cony. Don't go running out in the open and, and go for good life, you know, as far away you think as God. You're open to all sorts of attack out there. You just revert back. Just reverse back. Get your little butt in the middle of that rock. Find your confidence again in God. You know, so many, I, I've seen so many over life, lifetime, they feel they've let God down. And so they retreat, but not into him, away from him. And um, the Coney can teach us a lesson. You know, we'll never be strong enough on our own. We need the strength of God for life. So no matter what happens, learn the lesson from the Coney. Let's retreat into the rock of our salvation. And the last little um, reflection I have before, because we're going to have a time of anointing, and I think this will set us up well, is from the Olive Press. Um, we also went to Nazareth where they are recreating a biblical village there, which is amazing because it's not, a, um, it's not even an Israeli-owned town. It's an Arab part of the Arab state and, um, and it's, the Christians there have created this place. And so we learnt all about what an olive press is. And... Um, so there we have the two processes. That, that's one, well, I've been in the background there. And this is the one from, from the internet to show you that the olives go underneath. And this is the first part of the process. The first part of the process is the crushing. So all the olives, pit and everything, goes under there. And they crush. And the little donkey walks around. And the millstone, which is incredibly heavy... And you, if you go on the internet, there's a YouTube of this place that you can go and watch them doing it and you can hear the olives crushing. Um, and, yeah, that's the first part of the process. We know that the Bible also mentions a millstone. Jesus did. And because every village had an olive press and everything he used was from real life. And he said, you know, um, if people mistreat children... It's better for them if they had a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea, thrown into the Sea of Galilee. I don't think you'd be going up too fast with, far with that tied around your, around your neck. So that was a really good warning from a thing that people would have had a very visual uh, idea of. The mush goes into baskets and then it goes through the next, I think on the next, that's the crushing. So the next one is the pressing so the mush, or what we've got goes into those baskets there. And there's a big hole underneath those baskets. But there's a three-weight thing there, thing, fulcrum. A fulcrum, is that what you would call it in science? And the first weight is put down, and that's called the first pressed oil, okay? This is the expensive stuff. This is what we pay a lot for in Coles and Woolies, our first cold pressed oil. And if it's original, it means it's done by hand like this. They're not with a machine. And, and that's the first oil. And for the Jews, the first of anything goes to where? To God. So that, would, that first press oil will be used in the temple to light the menorah and to, for service in the temple. And then the second press would be for life, for eating, for, um, you know, for cosmetics, you know, rubbing on your skin, keeping your hair nice and uh, all of those things, but eating and life in general. And then the third press, there's no waste here, this third press would be um, for lighting lamps or things like that because it'll be a little bit, it would be dirty by then. 
farm, nothing at all is wasted out of that. Well, when we went into Gethsemane after seeing this um, and watching this, and we know that Gethsemane, the word means olive press. And that's where Jesus entered the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. And we'll get the girls to come up. And uh, it says that he went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw from them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And uh, how precious. The first pressed, the first press. How precious those drops of blood were. And you know... Um, and then we know he willingly, he willingly um, received the full weight, the full weight of our sin um, um, for our salvation. And I think of that olive press and I, I think of what Jesus went through. Um, I was overwhelmed with his willingness to go through it when I sat in that garden. And I think when you, I don't know, if confronted with such a pure motive, you realise how impure your motives are. And, you know, I said, God, even my best attempts, even my best attempts at trying my, my best to be unselfish or to do anything, I can't even compare with that, can never compare with that. And it wasn't in a judgmental way. It was just in a factual sort of way. We could never live up to that. And so how beautiful the, the sacrifice of Jesus was and how wonderful a person he was that he willingly did that um, um, for us. In a moment, we're going to offer... Um, for anyone who would like to, absolutely no pressure, to come forward and be anointed with oil. Um, this is the oil, the first pressed oil they would have uh, used in the temple. Uh, and anointing is for what is ahead, you know, submitting what is ahead to God. Consecration to God is what anointing was for in the year. So if you would like to concentrate, consecrate your year to God, then um, we'll ask you to come forward. And it's going to be a, a pretty quick process. We'll have our elders um, along the front here and you can just walk down and be anointed. They won't do a long prayer. It was just a symbolic anointing. Um, and then we just go back to our seat as the music plays. Um, but it's also, Roz was uh, mentioned, that it's the end of a decade for us as well you know, in our calendar and the beginning of a new decade. And in the Bible, 10 means something. <laughs> 10 um, symbolises completeness or completion of a cycle. And so that may be something you 
maybe want to declare as well the end of something, the end of a cycle coming to end or the beginning of a new decade. Um, and so, yeah, this morning we'll, we'll, we'll move into that now. Um, before I do, um, I've been talking a lot about Jesus this morning and Christianity is all about Jesus Christ. Um, what he did for us on that cross came, came as a baby knowing that that would be the role that he would play um, and then lived a life that, I don't know about you, but I want to live like that um, with such integrity, um, such grace and an awareness of humanity that can get lost. Um, yeah, so I just want to invite everyone just to close their eyes and, you know, you um, you become a Christian by committing your life to Jesus Christ and admitting to yourself that He is who He said He was, that He was Jesus, that He was the Son of God, um, that He laid down His life for our sins and that the sacrifice there um, can reconcile us to our Heavenly Father. You know, if this morning you have never done that before and you would like to, if you just raise your hand so I can see it, um, I'd love to pray a prayer with you and help you begin a relationship with the most wonderful person. Thank you, God. Is no one here? Um, needing to make that commitment this morning but for all of us I know I take it that we love him we love him, we want to be like him we want to live our lives in union with him so Lord Jesus um, thank you that you you willingly um, went through the garden of Gethsemane and and weighed up the cost and, and persisted. Thank you that you're in it for the long haul and you are in it for the long haul. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that we can draw from your strength and your integrity and your when we fall short and we need help. Thank you that you are our constant companion. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.